Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven and eight figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, part of the amazing FBA podcast family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven figure exit and enjoy the process, then keep listening. Today's sponsor is Eva, the most intelligent Amazon scaling toolkit online. Amazon sellers need exact, quick-to-read profit reports. Many sellers already pay a lot of money for these. Eva has world-class finance analytics with crystal-clear graphs included at no extra cost. Eva serves hundreds of seven-figure sellers, averaging a 51% increase in profits. To get a 15-day free trial, just go to amazingfba.com forward slash Eva. That's amazingfba.com forward slash E-V-A. Ladles and Jelly Spoons, boys and girls, welcome back to the 10K Collective podcast, one of the suite of the amazing FBA podcasts. And today we are talking supply chain, which has been just a huge headache for quite a long time now for anyone in e-commerce. You won't need to me to tell you that, but what we're looking for is solutions. So Edmund Zagarin of BidOps uh, is, runs a predictive procurement platform. And what that means is basically smart product sourcing, as far as I can tell. And that helps businesses to drive two to five X savings, which is not small savings. So really needed. Saving money on, on supply chains never been more needed. Edmund, warm welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Michael. Pleasure, Pleasure to be here. And where are you coming to, to us from today in the world? I'm sitting in uh, San Francisco, California. Very nice. I'm sitting in uh, rather autumnal London today. So I guess San Francisco can get autumnal as well, can't it? But it sounds like a lovely location to me. However, a lot of us are dealing with products moving around the globe, often from China to the West Coast of the US, not only. And right now, I've just had a mastermind meeting with uh, a bunch of seven-figure sellers that I work with as clients. And, and people are talking about the, you know, 2x, 4x, 10x increases in, in the cost of getting containers from China to US or China to Europe. And of course, then the, the massive delays as well. So there's a huge area so why do you think that things are going so wrong and and why do we what sort of solutions should we be putting in place instead well michael i'm i'm glad you asked because this is one of the biggest problems but it's also one of the most misunderstood problems now if you ask most people who've been reading the headlines they'll tell you that there's a shortage of containers that's at the root of many of these delays and to an extent, they're correct. But what that misses is a deeper shortage. It's not like there are fewer containers than there were a couple of years ago. It's not like these containers just magically disappeared. What has happened is that the containers have piled up in different ports. And in order to move the containers in an intelligent way and allocate them to facilitate the exchange of goods and services at prices would be considered competitive and, of course, are factored into the margin and business model of most sellers that you know, I believe you, you were working with, you actually need to be able to process a order in a specified amount of time. And you need to be able to do that regularly at scale. What's happened is that many of these processes today are not automated. They're driven by spreadsheets and email chains and they require actually a human in the loop in order to complete a 
review and approval of the order transaction. And this is why the shortage of containers is really more of a symptom than a cause. And it's symptomatic of the underlying shortage in labor in the supply chain. Now, when you have systems that aren't automated and you have a shortage of labor, you have a perfect storm as far as a bottleneck that creates more bottlenecks in every meaningful product category and uh, materials stream, including lumber, steel, of course, the you know now infamous microchip shortage uh, in the electronics industry. And again, while microchips, actually, there are some production-related uh, kind of genuine shortages in many of these other categories, the reported shortage is really a symptom of inefficient processes that take too much time and require humans in the loop. And that is largely driving the pain that a lot of your sellers are experiencing. That's very, very interesting. I mean, one way I like to look at things, because I try and kind of keep things simple because I try and recognize my limitations these days, is this, that pretty much everything is eventually comes back to labor. I mean, the, you know, as far as I know, that there's no uh, container ship tree or container tree that grows containers. People make them and that's ultimately a labor cost, right? Even if there's a shortage of raw materials, coal to, to fire furnaces, uh, steel, ore to put in to make steel, et cetera, that, that is made by humans as well. So in the end, a lot of the time it comes down to human factor, right? And I think that you've you put your finger on this non-automated systems plus a shortage of labor. That's it's very, very interesting. So I guess that implies, and you, you're obviously a man for platforms and you know your your platform bid ops is called a predictive procurement platform. Platform, I guess another word for you know software or system. I guess to a man with a hammer, everything you know looks like a nail to you. This looks like a problem that can be sorted by automation. So how does automation or how does a different approach for procurement start to get around this issue that you've outlined so clearly? Well, Michael, I mean, I think, you know, you're, you're right in a sense, but I, I would even take a step back and say, you know, we understand this problem is the shortage of labor. Insofar as what has happened during COVID is we have a backlog that's generated, a backlog of demand. We, we have the same amount of people or fewer people. So all of a sudden, we have to do more work in less time. And, and supply chain professionals are chronically right now, as they've been for the past year, overworked. And when you overwork a group of people systematically <laughs> over many months and years, some of them change jobs and that only exacerbates the problem. And so... Taking a step back, there are three approaches that any business could use to try and ameliorate this problem. One is finding different suppliers, which in many cases people are doing, or they're increasing their optionality by looking at other sources. They could hire more people and just have those people work harder and faster. Or what many people are hoping to do is have their suppliers hire more people so that they can enjoy the same quality of service and pricing as they did before. And, you know, frankly, there's now a competition in the market for those suppliers that are really good and have great people and get stuff on time. And so now there is actually a, a pretty significant demand for data on which suppliers you should go to for specific, you know, product categories and packaging categories and logistics categories. And then in the, you know, in the kind of third option is, is automation. And so I, I'm not necessarily a person who says, well, it has to be automation. But I think that if you simply take a costs and benefits approach, automation is the lowest cost. It is the fastest to implement. 
and it can remove the headaches associated with not being able to get your products at the price you want in the time that you need them much, much faster than hiring people or finding new suppliers. And the main reason for this has to do with the way that order approvals work, which is a very, I can assure you, administrative, transactional, and in the weeds topic. And it's absolutely essential to understand what's going on there if we're going to make any sense and headway in solving this problem. What's really at, at, at stake there is a process of understanding if the price we're getting is good. And generally, and by the way, we did a, a webinar earlier today. We did a poll during the webinar of a, a number of procurement and supply chain professionals. And we asked, how do you know that a price is competitive enough for you to approve it? And generally speaking, the way that that happens is you get multiple quotes from different suppliers and you compare them side by side and you see if you know it makes it makes sense and there's some variability there uh, and you and you create options and of course quality is part of it lead time is part of it it's not just price it's getting the you know the right supplier the the right lead time the right quality right specifications of course is is part of that but that process right now in most companies and, and this is by the way very true of e-commerce companies that have significantly automated the top line revenue of their business. But on the back end, lots of things are being done on spreadsheets and through email. That is a manual process. And so what BitOps does from an automation perspective is we automate the process of collecting and comparing quotes and proposals at scale from hundreds or even thousands of suppliers. And then we upfilter the ones that make the most sense given your requirements and your immediate needs. I love it. This reminds me of the thinking in the book called The Goal by Emmanuel Goldratt, I think it is, Eli Goldratt. And that's uh, a really fantastic book. I mean, for me personally, I'm such a nerd, but he had a maths background. Maybe that appeals to me. But one of the things I think he said is you, you can't, or one of the things he's after is the theory of constraints. And constraints is what we're all experiencing right now, right? Bottlenecks, another word for it. And basically, you can't optimize the system by optimizing one of its parts. And what you just said very, very clearly, I haven't anyone heard anyone else put it this way before, which is uh, if you automate the top line, i.e., you know, how do you make sales, but you don't automate the how you get the product in, obviously, what's going to happen is what you see happening all the time. You're going to go out of stock because you've got very slick at getting sales and you've got very unslick processes for getting stock to fulfill those sales. So what you just said uh, makes perfect sense. And I guess in systems thinking terms we've got to you know find the constraint and, and work on it right so you just put your finger on it very well what are your thoughts about this this sort of systems thinking i guess that's naturally what you think like anyway i'm getting yeah i mean i think you have to look at you have to look at businesses as systems and i mean businesses begin with people they begin with passion you know the the drive to create um something new in the world to build great teams and and brands, they run and operate on systems, much like anything that has an input and an output is almost by definition a system. And in that sense, the question that I think a lot of e-commerce company leaders are, are asking themselves is, wow, it's so easy for me to get paid by my customers. I've got Stripe. I've got this great front-end experience. It's so easy for my customers to find what they're looking for on my website. It's so easy for me to do business and to scale up sales through platforms like Amazon and Shopify. And then on the back end, the experience is nothing like that. It's so manual. It's so uh, tiresome, tedious. It takes, I have to hire people to, to fill in the gaps. What if the back end of my business ran as smoothly 
as the revenue side of my business does. And that's why we think that it's necessary to acknowledge the conflicting objectives that often happen in the back end, where it's not just getting the right supplier and the right price, but also honoring operational requirements. And increasingly, especially in a world of Amazon, getting stuff to show up at the right place at the right time, that is a tremendous, it's a tremendous lift for a lot of people. And if you've created a company where you've you know designed a product or you've built a brand or you've gotten your name out there, that's the hard part, right? Get, getting the the, the the revenue in the door and the customers in the door. That's the hard part. That's what leaders need to be focused on. And so I almost wonder why not make the the other stuff easier? You know, why not automate some of those tasks? Because if you have uh, manual processes in place that require manual data entry, not just by the way of your internal team, but of your suppliers, what ends up happening? So the way that these orders get processed is in a queue. And you think of it as a long line of tasks to be done. The tasks that are easier to do get moved to the front of the line. And so suppliers will actually process your orders faster if you make it less work for them to do so. So at BitOps, we actually designed the supplier experience first. We actually knew that this was, and Michael, as a systems thinker, you may recognize this term, this was a wicked problem. Right. And w- w- wicked problems are problems that get worse as you try to solve them. And so this is a, a problem in supply chain. A lot of people acknowledge the problem or trying to solve it. That's making the problem worse. And it's making the problem worse because it's on the wrong side of the table. You need automation for your suppliers to, to get you faster answers to questions you need about price and delivery and, and so on. And so at BitOps, we saw this opportunity. We said all of the procurement software, all of the product sourcing software out there, it's just built for the procurement side of the table. It doesn't really help the suppliers at all. So we built a suite of tools that makes it so easy for suppliers to answer your question. And we have an AI model that pre-populates the text field. And it's really good at guessing it right. And when it guesses it right, it's a one-click experience for suppliers to answer your critical questions, which means all of a sudden you're at the front of the line. Your orders will get processed faster because it's easier. It's literally easier for the suppliers to do it. And human beings, some people call us lazy. Some people use the word efficient. I think, <laughs> I think frankly, both, both are fine words, but why not make it easier? You know, that's the question we ask. Yeah, I I like that a lot. Why not make it easy? I mean, yeah, lazy. I I mean, the human beings are designed to save energy, like most animals. If you spent energy in a crazy kind of way, I guess your ancestors wouldn't have ended up, you know, breathing (laughs) successfully. And but I I really, by the way, I I, I'm honoured by the fact you call me a systems thinker. I'm a baby systems thinker. I aspire to that, but I I don't know the word wicked. But I I like (laughs) what you describe as a problem that gets worse than when you try and solve it. That sounds like a lot of people's experience with a lot of things around the Amazon space specifically, but supply chain, you know. specifically as well really smart to really look at the system as a whole again talking about a bigger system which is a global problem literally global some person in china staring at an antiquated system manually inputting stuff at 1am making mistakes because they're tired they don't understand english as well as perhaps we on the procurement side might hope and when why would they they're experts in supply chain they're not experts in language so to simplify their experience down as soon as you say it, it makes a lot of sense. But you're quite right that I've never come across anyone else really think 
supplier first. So that makes a lot of sense. We we ought to talking about backgrounds. We ought to just give a little bit about you. I'm keen to to get to you know cut to the chase as we have today and go straight to how do we solve these problems. And that's really really good. But tell us a little bit about yourself and and your background. So obviously you've got you are definitely a systems thinker. I can tell from the way you talk about things. So what what's brought you to this place? Yeah, Michael, I, I appreciate the compliment. You know, it's uh, systems thinking. I think is having certainly a resurgence now, especially in light of the popularity of behavioral economics. People like Daniel Kahneman and 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 Tversky, the work that they did, and and books like Thinking Fast and Slow, and also just books really around the concept of habit forming, forming good habits, increasing productivity. These are all applications of behavioral economics frequently applied at the very micro level. And if you look at that and you look at the revolution that's happened in user experience design, that's a very powerful combination in changing the you know groups of people's behavior in large numbers very, very quickly, as we've seen with disruptive changes over the past 20 years from the iPhone to Facebook to other changes that, that are coming. My background is actually uh, in studying complex adaptive systems academically and then I got into doing procurement really kind of by, by accident. I was uh, working um, as a university administrator and managed a budget and got certified as a procurement officer for the university I was at and really began looking at the procurement system as a, as a system through that role just because it was so inefficient and uh, frustrating that I began saying, okay, well, I, you know, I have this some background in complex adaptive systems and now I'm dealing with, with a system that's very complex, but not particularly adaptive and quite frustrating. And so I began you know, really working in three areas. One is strategic sourcing, which is a classic seven-step process. You find suppliers, you qualify them, um, you, you know, run them through a set of uh, criteria to determine who's who's the best. You ask for a proposal, you score it. And that, that process I got into as a consultant. Um, actually just through studying procurement systems, working with a number of consulting groups. The second area was auctions. So in procurement, there's some really interesting work over the past 20 years that's been done on the concept of a reverse auction. And so the way that we built our AI simulator for how to kind of pre-pop elements on the supplier side of the table was by modeling reverse auctions. And, And reverse auctions are very interesting because they essentially, they're usually used for like tens of millions of dollars in contracts. So large opportunities and they work kind of like eBay. So uh, the supplier bids the price lower and lower and you know the lowest uh, price or the you know best value, lowest total cost of ownership wins. What we realized was that this process is known for kind of hammering suppliers on price, but I was more interested in the other feature of it, which is it's often the fastest way to reach an agreement. So you can reach a kind of run an entire process that could take months and you can do it in a matter of minutes. And I was much more intrigued by that property of the reverse auction. And so ended up building a a simulator to see what the best design of a reverse auction could look like, just kind of made small, small improvements to it. And what we realized was that this AI was very, very powerful um, at predicting the price. Uh, of what things could be. And if, if you could predict the price or have some insight uh, to benchmark it and get, get comps, then you could shorten the process entirely by suggesting the price to the supplier at the outset and actually 
obsolesce and totally disrupt the request for quote process at its root. And so that really is what brings us to how BitOps works today. It's As you said, it's a full service procurement platform focused on sourcing, contracting, supplier management. We have embedded KPI reports, but what we're really known for is our AI predictive model for pricing. And this actually gives the supplier an indication of what you think an acceptable quote will be and enables this one-click experience that then, of course, moves you to the front of the line because they've already got the confidence that they're going to get paid the amount of money that they need to run their business. Wow. This sounds, I have to say, absolutely like rocket science to me. So I, I get the basic idea. So you, it sounds like you've you've got a sort of the thing that, that eBay uses. So and as a consumer, or for a lot of us as sellers as well, a very familiar process, but you really we're all focused on one aspect of it and you just focus on another aspect. In other words, it goes faster. And it sounds like, to put it in very simple terms, tell me if I've got it roughly right, Basically, instead of going, um, I'll give you $10 and somebody else says, I'll do it for eight. And somebody else says, I'll do it for seven. You go back to person A and he said, he said seven. And they say, okay, 6.5. And you go back to the other guy and said, he said 6.5. Can you do it for six? And they go, hmm, 5.8. And then you end up on 5.8. You just go to everyone and you say 5.8 to start with. And they go, okay, that's about right. Is, is that a very approximately roughly what it, what happens? So, Michael, I, I you know I appreciate that probably some of what I'm saying is a little bit more verbose, or, or I'm making it more complicated than it needs to be. So, let, let me try and kind of start with with the first principles on on the problem statement because I think it's it's critical to get back to what is actually the problem here. The problem is this process takes too long, right? You know, it takes too long, and it's 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 too much work. And the reason that it takes too long to approve an order is because people are not confident that they're getting the right price from the right supplier. And if they had that confidence, then they could move forward much, much faster. Now, how do they get confident? Well, typically they do it by asking for quotes from multiple suppliers in order to make comparisons. And that process takes even longer, right? So it's it's a wicked problem, right? The, oh, we're, it's taking too long. Why is it taking too long? We're not confident. Okay, well, we need more administrative approvals and we need more data and that's going to require another process and so on. So you have processes that that kind of self-multiply. Um, and it, mean, it means that any supply chain snag is, is exacerbated. I mean, it, it creates more work almost kind of by itself. What BitOps does is we simulate multiple quotes from different suppliers using our data set which is driven by a simulation of that eBay process you just described. So we don't actually, in general, do or facilitate that process. We tell you, here's what the price would have been if we had done this process and actually negotiated, and we suggest that price to the supplier. And this has the effect of making it really, really easy for the supplier to say, yes, no, or here's what I'd counterpropose and then again, it's just really easy to, to, to reach that alignment. And so if you've ever spent time going back and forth with a supplier <laughs> over the requirements and price, you know it's like a mind-numbing experience, particularly if they're in a different time zone, then there's 24-hour delays. And, and if it's a big order, it's really worth doing because the price variability for most product SKUs is close to 20%. And so if you're placing a million-dollar order, there's like potentially $200,000 in you know, profit margin that's achievable by running this process correctly 
But if the process takes too long, it's not worth running at all because, of course, then you're disappointing customers or, you know, uh, slowing your business down. Yeah, or more likely your revenue drops for absolutely zero because you're out of stock. And that happens alarmingly frequently, especially in the last year because of this this problem that we've been trying to articulate. Well, look, thank you for simplifying it down for me. So my simple understanding, the biggest problem is everything takes too long. The reason is because we're not confident in the price. So what you're giving people, I guess, is a way quicker way to get to price they can be confident in. Is, is that, That's basically it. That's it. Of it. That's Perfect. It. Yeah. Great. So we yeah. simplified it down to my little brain. You're very flattering to say that I'm a systems thinker. I aspire to it. But the truth is, one of the roles I play for the audience, hopefully, is to, to ask the dumb questions because I'm not as you know mathematical genius as you are, for sure. So Okay, very interesting. So what what is it that, what else we need to think about? Well, the other obvious thing is, the obvious thing that I would say is that speed is very, very important. Price is obviously critical, but quality is as well. So how do we start to account for something as, as nuanced and complex as quality control within trying to do things as quickly as possible and for the right price? Because that's that's a subtle art, it seems to me. Can that become a science as well? Well, Michael, you're 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 very flattering, and appreciate the compliment. I would be remiss if I did not give a big shout out to the actual mathematical geniuses on our team, our technology leaders, my my CTO Ben Lakin, our head of machine learning Eric Burris, our systems architect Aziel, our front end engineer Sam, our integrations engineer Joe. I mean, we we have a great team behind this this product. So I. I you know, and it, without their work, you know, this idea of getting confident quickly on prices would not would 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 not be possible. So, so they are they are truly kind of make, making it making this a reality. And that sounds like, by the way, the Oscars. Uh, you know, there's always yeah. a, a massive team behind the the you know the yes. standing on the podium. So, point taken, and and thank you to all your your team. But yeah, how do we deal with the quality issue then? Because that is, it feels to me, much more nuanced. And and yet, we want speed and we want good pricing. So how do we how do we scare that circle? Yeah, well, so actually, you know, kind of in, introducing just a couple of the team, I want to segue into that because typically, you know, we're talking about sourcing, right? We're talking about bid ops, getting quotes, comparing them. When you get into quality, when you get into lead time, when you get into managing your transportation packaging spend, you're often talking about other processes and other systems that have to be brought together. Because when they're fragmented or there are data silos between them, they just don't work the way that they're that they're supposed to. And so one of the areas where we've made significant investment is in integrations with other systems that people already use to pull in KPIs and trackers for things like quality. Now, I will say that like in manufacturing, one of the operational metrics people pay a lot of attention to is a metric known as OTIF, on time in full. Did we get the order? <laughs> Did it show up in the correct format we anticipated? And is it the quantity that, that, that we expected? And you know, OTIF metrics across different industries have gone from being like 90, 100% to being you know, <laughs> 40 and 50% uh, percent in some cases, even, even lower, or, you know, dropping to, 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 to absolute zero. And so the question of how do we get quality to be part, part of the picture it's really about how do we get data from our systems, track it, forecast it, set targets for it, and you know, then systematically improve it over time. And can it be a science? I think that 
the science around this from a technology standpoint is just creating visibility into it in order, of course, to improve quality. You know, you need, that's the supplier that has to, to be the agent and, and take the action there. One, um, one trend that I'm seeing that I think your listeners might, might be interested in hearing about is we're seeing micro bonuses in supply chain. So people actually give a small bonus to their top supplier for hitting operational uh, metrics targets. And if you think about the cost of having OTIF add a certain metric to your business, then it makes a ton of sense to incentivize operational excellence. And this also kind of, it you know, even if it's a small amount of money, it's often very motivating. Again, going back to behavioral economics, <laughs> we we love to play games. We love to win as as humans, and so suppliers are are, are no different. And so, if um, if you're an Amazon seller and you're experiencing a lot of supply chain disruption, you really you know you love your current suppliers, but they're just not not doing it for you. I would say evaluate the costs and benefits of running an experiment with a micro bonus micro bonus program. Uh, good micro bonus programs require that you track your data in real time. So you need to make sure that the numbers are accurate. But giving small bonuses on a regular basis can often incentivize behavior change if you're not getting the performance that you like. And of course, it can also you know, become the basis of just understanding the costs of delay internally uh, better. Wow, I, I like that a lot. I really like the integration. By the way, you had Kahneman and is it Tversky? I can never say his name right, but uh, thinking fast and slow. My wife, knowing what a nerd I am, brought me that uh, a while ago, I think for my birthday, and I sort of read some of it. And it's quite a lot to take in, but I like the fact that you're integrating psychology into this because in the end, if there are people involved, not just machines, and there are, then we have to think about systems, including people involves human psychology and motivation. So that's really smart to think about that. And I just think about this sort of, you know, rewards and the things that, that would motivate me. I mean, for example, I ran a half marathon the other day and that what really matters is me getting fit as a middle-aged guy who spends too much time in front of his computer. But my, putting my sort of ego on the line, did, did it make, make much difference to anything externally or to my life that I ran it in two minutes, tw- two hours, 20 minutes or two hours, 15 minutes? Not really, but somehow that five-minute increment and the fact that somebody else is getting something was part of it as well. Hey folks, thank you so much for listening to another 10K Collective podcast episode. And today I thought was pretty powerful stuff with Edmund of BidOps. Really, we're first of all dealing with a profound problem amongst all the Amazon sellers that I work with as clients and the friends that I have. The biggest problem by far is the logistics side, getting products made and getting them especially moved across the world in many cases to the country where they're being sold whether they're being sold in the US and sourced in China for example or sold in the UK and sourced in China or possibly India or other places right now it seems to be a global level problem and so to have a really intelligent response to this I think was really important and really there's a lot to absorb I would suggest you go back and listen to this again um If you want to see the show notes, I'll do sort of bullet points, but I'm not going to try and notate the whole thing at 10kcollective.com. We'll also put any links in here, including links to BidOps site themselves. But the main things I'm taking from this is really the, the word that came up is optionality. How do we increase our options to the point where we have a plan B, a plan C, plan D, and the, the fact that that's so critical, and also how we simplify the very, very laborious task of um, getting the procurement or buying of services or products, or in fact both, because there's not much point in buying goods 
and physical widgets if they are the other side of the globe and they haven't made it over. So buying the ability to move them around the world, i.e. logistics, is clearly part and parcel of the job. So there's lots to think about here, lots to absorb. I would encourage you to go back and listen to it again, take some detailed notes, and above all, obviously, check out um, the BidOps software itself. If you go to amazingfba.com forward slash BidOps, B-I-D-O-P for Peter, S for Sugar, you'll find the the site of course there and i really think it's worth you checking out whether you use this particular software or not i really think that the systems thinking that edmund is obviously so versed in is the solution it's the way to go because if you as you said so elegantly if you have a wonderfully slick front end that's been evolved now over you know two decades maybe getting on for three of e-commerce in some form and on the other hand the back end is is a complete mess there's a complete mismatch there and that would explain why if it's easy to sell stuff and hard to restock everyone i know is going out of stock and that is exactly what's happening so i really would urge you to deep dive into this subject edmund is a great starting point i think BidOps may be the solution for you but even if it isn't that kind of thinking I think is going to set you on the path to creating a really vibrant business that flies when everyone else is drowning. This strange metaphor mix, but you get what I'm saying here. Thank you so much for listening as ever. If you have enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe on the podcast player of your choice. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please do leave us a rating, one, two, three, four, or even if we've earned it, five stars. Thanks very much for listening to the 10K Collective podcast. Thanks for listening to the 10K Collective podcast for six and seven figure Amazon sellers. I really hope you found the show helpful to you. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please do leave us a quick star rating. It will take you all of 30 seconds to do it, but it does mean we can be found by and help many more e-commerce business builders. I wish you fast and profitable scaling, and I hope you enjoy the process of building your seven-figure Amazon business. Thanks very much for listening.